All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation Brought to you, as always, by the Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X is Toyota's brand new all-electric SUV that is designed to go the distance for you and your family. The BZ4X is packed with Toyota's coolest tech, but it still has that trusty SUV feel you know and love. And even though it's electric, electric, it's capable of effortlessly conquering any terrain. Whether it's rain, snow, mud, or your friend's questionable post-game recaps, the BZ4X will get you through it all. Harm, I bet you wish you had a BZ4X when I was playing you in basketball last night. Yeah, well, so two things on that, right? <laughs> and for, for the people that aren't aware, Quaz beat me in uh, arcade basketball. Number one, never never claimed to be any good at it, right? I said that you'd go down, but I was implying that other people uh, would play you and beat you. Um, I wasn't making the claim that I'd be the one to step up. So that's an important distinction. And for the record, you didn't play anybody else there. So no. uh, hiding a little bit there. <laughs> and number two, I would crush you in a game of actual basketball. So you can have your little arcade <laughs> victory. Uh, but until we meet one-on-one in the court, just know that I would completely dominate you. <laughs> well, I, I got to say, I, I played one game of arcade basketball against you. I was gassed by the end of it. Those machines at Greta, you get banged for your buck. My goodness, that went on for like three, four minutes, just nonstop shooting. And I was, uh, I was gassed by the end of it. I was, I had a sore back. I'm feeling a little banged up today. It's just the, you know, the price of being a, a star athlete. That's what happens, right? And that's the thing I told you after 
if anybody challenged me, I would have taken the challenge probably. But I also, after I beat you and was tired and banged up, I was like, all right, it's time to retire. That's what athletes do. When we, when our, when our bodies hurt that badly after performing, and we know we can't do it at the highest level anymore. We step away from the game and that's, that's what I did. Yeah. When you get up there in age, your, um, your body starts breaking down, right? That's right. My prime was 16, <laughs> my age 16 through 19 was my prime years. And now I'm uh, at 24 years old. I'm, uh, I'm hitting my end. The end of the road is in sight for me when it comes to uh, my arcade basketball sales, but I put up some good numbers and uh, so did, so did the rest of us with the Greta watch party. It was a lot of fun. We raised some money for Canuck place children's hospice, gave away some signed you signed jerseys it was awesome i almost called them uniforms signed jerseys it was a lot of fun uh over there at greta bar yvr we had a blast we had a great time thanks to everybody who came out a special shout out to uh, travis wall who's in our chat almost every day special shout out jeremy lee who we got to meet in person as well we got to meet some fine folks in the youtube live chat and it was awesome to get to see uh, so many so many canucks fans in one place and unfortunately the canucks did not get it done let's break down the game harm which we both had a bit of trouble paying attention to uh this breakdown of this game is brought to you by our friends at four winds brewing family owned and operated in delta home to the four winds light lager a crisp clean and easy drinking beer a beer for everyone a perfect beer for before after or during the game ask for four winds light lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. all right harm as i alluded to kind of hard to uh to pay attention to the game with everything that was going on at Greta it was a wild time but uh we did pay attention to the game and what we saw was a 5-2 loss I put in the show description 4-2 loss like for some reason I just thought it was 4-2 that they lost it was 5-2 they lost by final score 5-2 because obviously the Kraken added that empty netter I just took that out of my memory completely I thought this game ended 4-2 5-2 victory for the Seattle Kraken over the Vancouver Canucks yeah, it was an ugly one, right? Let's not um, beat around the bush there. They were out-battled. They clearly were tired with their third game in four nights. Uh, they were sloppy with the puck, without the puck. And here's the thing. With this four-game losing streak, you could take some silver linings from the other games, but this performance lacked inspiration. That was one of their worst performances of the year. We heard how upset talk it was after the game, and rightfully so. Of course, you have to know there was the big difference in rest. Uh, when you consider how much the Canucks have played recently over these last two weeks compared to Seattle, um, heading into this game, they'd played one game in their last six days, five games in all of February. But then the other side of the coin, too, is that, yeah, this is a tough stretch. They're a bit tired, but also the Canucks were just coming off the All-Star break um, and had in the in, in the, even the lead up to the break itself, other teams were playing in the Canucks. Um, had the entire week off. So they, coming into this difficult stretch, um, had plenty of time to rest, which you don't normally get mid-season. And yeah, there are some concerns with this um, team right now. The power play, which I'm sure we're going to dive a little bit deeper into, uh, feels like the penalty kill is disintegrating. Um, they were losing every 50-50 battle. Seattle was just fast. They were tenacious. They were doing everything that Vancouver does when the Canucks are at their best, um, the lines outside of the JT Miller one were just, there was nothing cooking offensively. They weren't generating enough chances. Um, even on that line itself, I mean, you're going to give obviously R.C. Baines. Like I thought he was fine in that role, not particularly great, not particularly poorly. But um, even when we point out that, okay, the Miller line had a great game, I thought it was honestly just JT Miller. 
um, that was driving um, some offense. He's been terrific in this stretch, but outside of that, just, there just haven't been um, enough parts of this uh, lineup firing. Um, we also saw Ilya Mikheyev, um drastically reduced ice time. Feels like he's really entering Rick Tockett's doghouse. Um, a lot of um, negative storylines coming out of it, and it's not ideal that tomorrow they have to go up and, and face Boston uh, with a national game. It's going to be a lot of attention on them, a lot of pressure. This is going to be a big test for them. It's going to be a huge test. And look, let, let, let's break down, because I think we're going to get to the Boston game a little more in anyone else. You were at Canucks practice, which did happen today. The Canucks did practice today, folks, and we're going to talk about that a bit uh, in Under the Hood later in the show. But I think during anyone else, we'll talk more about the Boston game. The one thing I want to talk about, Harm, is uh, Archie Baines, like you said, thought he played fine. But you asked me last night, we were at Greta. <clears throat> As you can tell by my voice, we were at Greta. Um, we... You asked me what I thought of Archie Baines. I said, he's fine, but you can see why Phil Kessel is getting a look in Abbotsford, right? Like, Phil Kessel would not be a huge downgrade from who the Canucks are putting out there in their lineup right now. Whether that, and I'm not, this isn't a shot at Baines at all. I'm just saying that, like, you've got Baines, you've got Suter, and now you've got Mikheyev, who Mikheyev is obviously a tier below at this point, where it's not hard to believe that Phil Kessel is getting a long look where you're looking at winger depth and saying, yeah, okay, this guy might be able to actually help us. It it makes sense now. Like it makes a lot of sense why this team is looking. And I mean, this is a point I made when the Kessel rumors first came out and everything, but yeah, it just, I'm looking at the winger depth and I'm saying, okay, yeah, you can see why a guy like Phil Kessel is getting a look in habits for right now. And why honestly, like, like he'd be in the Canucks lineup right now. I don't think that's crazy to say. Like, I don't think it's hard to say that, there'd be a home for Phil Kessel right now in the Canucks lineup. Yeah. And when I look at the lineup right now, I really need to see more from Patterson and Lindholm. Hoaglander seems to bring the energy every night. You notice his forechecking, you notice his skill set. That's always going to be in a complimentary role when we're talking about a top six opportunity for him. Patterson and Lindholm are the established players. They're the all-stars. And it feels like they haven't really developed any of the chemistry that we thought they would have when Lindholm was first acquired, right? I mean, Patterson, we spoke about how he liked his performance in the Colorado game, how he was stronger on the puck. He was driving play, even though he didn't end up with production. Um, but it was another quiet, I thought, night for him outside of the one pretty play off the rush where he set up Hoaglander. I think it might've been in the second period. Outside of that, there there wasn't a lot. And, and, and this is what I keep coming back to. Even if you're not producing, I, I want to see him creating chances, uh, driving a play, winning battles and there just hasn't been enough of that. And you're also seeing that in um, that lines underlying numbers in, in plenty of these losses outside of the Colorado game, Lindholm as well. I mean, of course he's been, been absolutely through the ringer at this point. When you think about him being in Cabo and he was traded, then Toronto all-star week, then trying to get accustomed to new teammates, um, new system, um, new roles in the power play in the PK. The Canucks are also on the road, so he hasn't had a lot of practice time. It's a it's a tough opportunity, sort tough opportunity for him to try and take. Um, and you do cut him some slack, but I just don't notice him on enough nights in terms of the driving offense aspect. Yeah, he wins a lot of draws, um, but I I, I want to see him delivering more. And this is where talking at practice today. Um, was sort of asked about them and I I'm not 
expecting anything to change imminently, but talk it start did start wondering out loud about okay are they a fit together it seemed like he was second guessing whether at some point he may have to go um to to separating them and he brought up the fact that they're both kind of natural centermen and sometimes it's an adjustment moving to moving from center to wing um but the problem you run into is even if you wanted to separate those guys that that only would further expose your lack of impact wingers so um, then the other aspect too is, I mean, the bottom six has gone from a major strength to uh, a weakness. The Dakota Joshua's injury is obviously a huge aspect of it. Um, it's rare to see Connor Garland at the bottom of the pile when it comes to um controlling shots and um, that line's play driving. Yet that's what happened in the, in the Seattle game, but also Nils Hoaglander because he stepped up the lineup, the fourth line just really doesn't have much going. I know Lafferty scored, but um, on the third line, he was getting a shift with the third line when he scored that. <laughs> so it, it really feels like there's, there are some areas of concern. I'm not in crisis mode. I'm not in panic mode, but there are problems that need to be fixed. We got a lot of interaction in the YouTube live chat folks. Thanks so much. We had some people at the live party, uh, the watch party saying they had a great time. Thanks for that. Uh, and a lot of people have some good stuff. We've got a heater trade proposal already. We're going to get to it in anyone else. Wyatt aren't going to join us in a matter of moments, but harm uh, anything else that you wanted to touch on with that loss in Seattle. Cause we've got a bunch of audio from talking and I thought it'd be appropriate uh, to get to that. So Grady just hit us with these clips here. Uh, also, I didn't even introduce us. Dave Guzzelli, Harmon Dial and our producer, Grady Sass, uh, who's standing by and he's got a lot of audio for us uh, from last night. So, Grady, let's start with just Hockett's raw reaction to the loss last night. It's not just leadership. You're looking for everybody. You know, I don't care who you are. Just worry about your game. You know, everybody's capable of doing things, but are we willing to do it? Right now, there's some games there, and I don't want to, like I said, I thought we played good in Colorado. Minnesota, you know, whatever, five, four, three on twos, whatever, three on five on threes. Um, so it's not been horrible. I don't want to go crazy because of this game. But we've had some four or five guys have no shows here at four or five games. They got to pick it up. They got to do something. You have to. You can't just sit the bench and, and do nothing. Okay, so a lot of no shows is the one that we uh, we want to get to. That was the that was the quote. That was the quote that really stood out for me. Yeah, and it's like honestly throughout the lineup there are a number of players right now that just aren't playing at their best. I mean, um, I mean, McKay the one that we've been talking about a lot, but even on the Miller line, you want to see more from Brock Besser. And, and I know in um, the, I think it was a Colorado game where he made the gorgeous pass to set up Miller, but Besser is a goal scorer first and foremost. And um, there hasn't been enough there. We touched on needing more from Lindholm and Pedersen. Um, the fourth lines of not getting it done there are a lot of areas with this group that, especially in, in, in the most recent Seattle game um, where guys just weren't playing up to their, um, up to their ability level and forget even the no-shows aspect. One observation that I've had for a while, and I know it doesn't tie directly into specifically the Seattle game, but we just haven't had a chance to talk about it in general is even on the back end, I look at somebody like an Ian Cole, and I remember having this conversation with uh, Patrick Johnson in the press box during one of the recent home games. Through the first 20 
to 25 games, it felt like he was the steadiest rock with the bottom four, especially when Susie had initially gone down. Cole was just so noticeable, whether it was the PK at five on five. You noticed him multiple times every day or every game because of a smart defensive uh, play, breaking up a, a pass, um, blocking a shot in a high, da- high danger area. Um, he just seemed to bring some of the defensive savvy that the Canucks seemed to lose when they originally lost um, Edler and Tanev. But Ian Cole's play has started to, I think, I don't want to say it has slipped a little bit, right? It's not problematic, but here's a guy that was sort of holding the bottom four together. And now he's been fine. He's been average. I don't think his puck play has been as sharp. He's had some turnovers. Um, and like, that's even an area to me that I'm looking at and going, okay, the Canucks could really use Carson Susie. Carson Susie, his name came up yesterday as well. And I, it's very hard to disagree with that when you bring up Ian Cole, uh, someone who struggled just a little bit, but has struggled. And like you said, hasn't been unplayable by any stretch of the imagination. But when you hear rumors about the Canucks being looking at defensemen, it's not very hard to believe uh, and see why they would want to do that. Uh, Garland had the fight. We're not going to get to that. Um, we're not going to get to that one. Uh, just we'll probably ask Wyatt about that. And Wyatt is going to join us now. Wyatt's hit is brought to you by the Wendy's Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy teams this year and Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool Fantasy. For those of you who smoke the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. Download the Wendy's app and score yourself 150 bonus reward points in your first order and grab a sweet victory from the mouth-watering jaws of defeat along with some fresh, never-frozen beef. Sign up to play Daily Faceoff Survivor Pool Fantasy to win weekly prizes like a spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. Cue that music. That was, that was good. The town music to be getting on the program. This is the best intro yet, you guys. Gotta say, you guys are crazy. Thumbs up, there's thumbs up. So, Wyatt, we were risen it up big time last night. Ooh, uh, the three so of us. Riz. Yeah. So much riz in one room. Um, it was it was a good time at the watch party. Let's start with that. Your your thoughts. That was your first Canucks Army watch party, was it not? It, it was, yeah, I know. It was actually, I packed in pretty good there, boys. And uh, I got to say, you know, it's a weird thing with the Greta washrooms are like top notch. Like, because the cabbie's really close. The cabbie's got some of the worst washrooms in all of Vancouver. Uh, but the Greta, it's like individual stalls. They've got delightful soap dispensers all clean. So that that's the way to my heart. So yeah, shout out to Greta. That was a, a good time and uh, good food. And it's good seeing uh, everyone there and just chatting up and got to meet Trent. And uh, it was fun and Tyson. So uh, it's good to put some names to faces. It was. It was a great time. Uh, it wasn't all good for the Canucks, as we saw at that watch party while we were watching the game. Just your thoughts on last night's game. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they do look tired, right? They look like a tired team. But there is a difference between a tired team that's still trying to make things work and a tired team that maybe is kind of like, uh, we're, we're kind of tired. Like, they kind of buy into the fact they're tired to give themselves a bit of a break. And that's what it kind of felt like. And I think that's what Taka kind of alluded to. Like, hey, like, you know, there's going to be some tough times ahead. And, like, this is nothing compared to what the players are going to be like. So, and I, I've said it in the stanchions before. Talkic loves tests. He's all about tests. You know, get learning from it. So, this is a very good kind of learning thing to get through. It's a tough stretch. I said before the game, they're going to go to five-game losing streak. I don't think they're winning against Boston. I just think it's going to be too much of a uh, too short uh, turnaround. Uh, but I do think they will bounce back. But it's definitely a thing where, um, you know, 
Talkic did the nice thing of saying, oh, it's on me for not getting them prepared, but, you know, he's going to have this team. Like, that's that was, you know, not good enough. And he's right. There were some guys that were invisible, and I've been on McKayev's case for a while now, and he, you know, the stats he's came through and showed that was one of McKayev's worst games, you know. So Mike pointed out, too, like, he has not been good enough for the amount of money he gets paid. Uh, it kind of reminds you a bit of the Benning era where you've got a guy that's getting paid, you know, four-plus million dollars on your fourth line now, and that's not a, a spot you want any team to be in, especially one that's trying to go far in the playoffs. There's been a lot of conversation recently around the power play, a lot of different theories. Uh, what are you noticing with the man advantage and why it's lacking effectiveness right now? I think part of it is, you know, it could just be luck. Like, you know, that's always the thing that we always kind of forget. But it also it just feels like watching this team that they are overthinking things a bit. And like Roanoke's kind of the poster child for overthinking things. I remember during the, it was the first period against the Kraken. He has the puck inside his blue line, not power play yet, but he's inside his own blue line. And he's looking to make the perfect pass for at least, you know, a half second, a second, and then doesn't get it out. And then they're hemmed in for two minutes. And that's the kind of emblematic of what's going on. Like they're overthinking things. They're they're making these passes. They're bobbling the puck. But it's adding fatigue, overthinking, luck. And I think that's what's kind of coming together now to make it look really bad. And even that being said, like I'm not trying to bury Heronic here, but I don't think that guy's the answer. Like I know the 2D, the 2D in the power plays is a bit archaic. And I don't think he's got, um, you know the speed to really to, i know that the crossover with hughes and they, they works really well but i just don't think he's the guy out there and he's not he's got a good shot but he's not a guy like Salo who's gonna kill you with that shot right he's not getting off quick enough so um i think you know we joke about kuzmeko was a stir that <laughs> maybe the straw that stirred the drink but i just think back then they were just like their puck movement was a bit crisper they were getting shots off and you know everyone's gonna be talking about it jt miller with half wall seems to be a bit more effective for them when they have kind of skating into it right like I, I just feel like Ronick, and you were mentioning it, Harmon last night, like Ronick on the half wall. I'm sorry, Hughes on the half, half wall. I don't think that's the best use of him. Like, it really isn't. Like, he's distributing the puck and letting him kind of, you know, free will around is the best use of him. Connor Garland got into a fight, didn't go super well. Uh, your thoughts on Connor Garland dropping the gloves with Brandon he Tanner? Cut, he, he cut Tanner. Like, Tanner was, that was the UFC style. Tanner was unleashing, like, that was, I was watching, like, what is going on? Like, that would look like it was personal. Uh, and I know there was the, the poll that came out, like Garland's got one of the most punchable faces. Like he just gets under people's skins and we don't, maybe he's saying things softly and whispering things, right? Like the Alex Burroughs style, but he he seems to, to get under people's skin and fighting, you know, I, I know JT Miller got all like, you went to the box, getting a little fist bump, like, yeah, I would go. And there's a level of fighting that is good for the team. But, you know, we just saw Dakota Joshua go with an injury for a while because of a fight. Cutter Garland, you know, you don't necessarily need him going in a fight right now. Like this is the time where like, I get it. You want to push back, but I just don't think he needs to be fighting. And it's not like he's a big guy either. So, like, imagine Garland gets injured all of a sudden. Like, that third line has been such a boon to this team. That that third line has saved them so many times this year. Like, you just got to get that line back together. Don't fight. Niels Amon, what are you doing, buddy? Just get in there. Like, like that, you know, jump in. That could be his job, right? Like, he hasn't done much lately. Like, leave the fighting to the fourth liners at this point. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Dakota Joshua, you mentioned it. He's also yeah. out. Uh, that was the first thing I thought of was, okay, what if both of these guys go down? Um, how much is this team missing Dakota Joshua right now? It's always tough, right? Cause we're going at like a four game losing streak kind of, we're looking at everything kind of on the table and you're like, what's wrong? What's causing this on that? And so it is easy to point to, to, to Joshua and maybe we're heightening his, uh, you know, disappearance from the lineup, but maybe a little too much, but I do think it is an impact for sure. Cause I think him and Garland kind of had some chemistry and, and the whole third line does, but like, Garland, as we've seen, he's really good at high danger passing. He's really good at setting people up. And I think Dakota figured out how to play with Garland. He knows how to use that space that Garland creates for you. And he takes the puck to the net hard. And I think if I, like he's the guy that drives the net. And you look at it, like once Dakota's out of the lineup, like 
every once in a while laugh when you'll drive to that sure but like dakota's the guy that drives that puck jj miller as well but dakota will on that third on was drive to that drive to that and so garland gives him space he would just drive to the net so missing that aspect of that line like they're trying to fit guys in there who can do that same thing and no one's kind of fitting in the same way and yeah maybe they're, they're playing well defensively at times but like they were getting the offense as well that's why that line was so lethal and so without dakota there like they're just and fair enough some guys are kind of fit into that it's gonna take a while but for a team that's trying to like keep the Edmonton Oilers in the rear room mirror, like that has been a huge loss for the team. There's been some debate these days about Elias Pettersson, his performance. Uh, some people criticizing him pretty harshly, saying he's not worth 12 million and um, not even in relation to the contract, but the point being that they're really disappointed with um, his play recently. Uh, whereas others are a little bit more forgiving and looking at it more from the sense of just, Hey, it's a rough patch even star players go, go through highs and lows. Where do you stand with Pedersen's game recently? Yeah, I mean, he's still playing at points. I think there's probably could be a, a bit more coming from him, but you're getting a lot of the comments that, you know, people used to give the Sedins, like he falls down so much. Like he's not showing up the big games and they, people would try their own city would go after the Sedins and near the end of the career, everyone's like, oh, the scenes were great. Everyone else attacked him like for forgetting that they themselves did the same things. And Pedersen, the same, getting a lot of that. He's falling down way too much. He's not doing enough. And I mean, you look, even look in Toronto, like Mitch Marty gets a lot of crap too. Like these top players, like, Again, there a lot's expected of them, and fair enough. But sometimes there is going to be a little too much where, like, you expect them to take over the league and be the top number one guy in the league. And I think it's just the white noise of his contract that's surrounding because that's almost half the time the comment followed up with it. This guy wants 12 million from us. And it's like, that's kind of what's followed up with it as. And it's like, no one even really knows what's being said. They're just kind of taking, like, you know, reports and kind of like putting their own thoughts into it. And, and people are getting riled up. And I think overall, though, Pedersen has, you know, a, you know, has he been the best this season lately? No. Can he play better for sure? But he's still one of their top players. And, you know, that's the kind of guy that come playoff time, I think him and JT Miller are going to be guys that are going to step it up. So I'm not worried about him. But I do think it's fair to say, like, hey, like maybe you get a bit more out of them. I wanted to ask you, kind of just looking at it big picture, we had someone in the chat, Nar, who threw this out about the skid being ideal. The boys just got swept, and now they have to figure it out. Look at what happened to Boston last year with all their regular season success. Is that a bridge too far for you, or are you looking at this and saying, okay, there's some silver lining here potentially? I do. I do think it's good because I think things have gone like that's the whole thing of the PDO. Like how I many like that. My favorite stat is like they are the high, the most lethal team off the rush. They just score goals. It always goes in. Like to them, like it's almost too easy at times. Uh, so I think they do need a, the idea of like, oh, we got to dig deep now. Like we're playing down goals. We're now, you know, we're we're not like, getting the goals coming as easily, and we've got some injuries. Like because that's going to happen in the playoffs. It always happens unless you're the stupid LA Kings in 2012. You always get injuries. So it's going to happen to this team. They're going to find a way to to fight through this. And again, like Boston is the perfect test because that's like. In the playoffs, you're going to be down maybe 3-1 in a series, and that top team is still staying right across from you. So they got to treat this game almost as like, hey, boss, this is a perfect chance for us to go, hey, we're a playoff team. That's a top team across from the table from us. we got to figure a way out to, to not just like play well, but win this game. Like That, to me, is a, the biggest test they can have. Wyatt, I love it. Uh, they practiced today. So, again, we'll see. Jeff was there. Harmon was there as well. Um, we'll see how they respond tomorrow. But uh, as always, thanks for doing this. Wyatt, we really appreciate your time. Thanks, boys. It was good risen up with you, and I'll see you at the next event. Riz, Riz, you later. All right, see ya. Riz out. All right, that was Wyatt Hart, uh, who, as I mentioned, was brought to you by Wendy's. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I got to tell you about another sponsor of ours. That would be HSBC World Rugby Sevens, Western Canada's largest sporting event. This year is the ninth time the event has visited Vancouver as part of the World Rugby Sevens series. Tickets are on sale now at vansevens.com, starting from just $40 per day. And if you want to go, we've got a four-pack of tickets for the entire weekend to give away. Text hashtag sevens, that's S-E-V-E-N-S, to 778-402-9680 for your chance to win. We will be giving away a four-pack each week until the event. Text hashtag sevens to 778-402-9680. And folks, the event is this weekend, so enter to get tickets. Buy your tickets. Make sure you get on down to BC Place this weekend for three full days of jam-packed partying and rugby action all right harm time for you to cook you've got something for us on under the hood brought to you by mr lube yeah so after practice at ubc today jpan asked rick talkett about the idea of bringing jt miller back to the left flank perhaps why 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 we haven't seen it to this point again Um, and talkett had an interesting answer he said that a lot of penalty kills are playing a diamond formation against Vancouver's power play and against the diamond formation when you have Miller in that left flank he's running straight into the right flank player of that diamond and the problem there is that Miller doesn't have a left shot one-timer op- option in the middle like they did when Bo Horvat was here because with his absence they've mostly been restricted to right shot options and if it's a right shot in that bumper option JT maybe has a deflection option but it's not a true shooting sort of lane sort of option that he can defer to in the bumper in the middle of the ice Uh, so that was I think an interesting um, explanation for why we haven't seen the Canucks go back to Miller on that left flank now does that mean that they shouldn't experiment with it Again, I don't know about that. I think at a certain point, you have to try it again just because even early in the season, they had some success. But it does highlight to you the importance or or the value that they lost when Bo Horvat left that they don't have a, a left shot finisher in that spot because um, Lindholm comes in, is great, and has experience in that bumper role. But since he's a right shot, again, you don't have that one-timer uh, option. And um, it just goes to show, I think, one of the challenges um, with fixing this power play right now. And you just hope that now the team um, is going to be back at home a little bit more, especially through um, later in March after their California uh, road trip, that they're going to have more practice time. Hopefully that can um, be the key to getting the man advantage back on track. 
This was in today's scenes from practice, courtesy of our pal Jeff Patterson, who, of course, as you said, asked the question. This was what Talkin had to say. A lot of teams play the diamond penalty kill. If you watch, we've played against diamonds with Millsy's, Millsy there, and we've struggled with him on that side when we had a righty in the middle. Now he's talking about Suter, a lefty. They had a little bit of success. It's hard to have that mentality against a diamond because all you're doing is going into that diamond. And then he talked about how it's something they might have to tinker with uh, and what's going to happen. Uh, but he did talk about the power play, kind of how the players need to take ownership here. He said, I think everybody has to take onus when the power play goes bad. Work ethic is something I think we can be a little bit harder to play against when we have the power play. Win those loose puck battles, get the puck to the net. Sometimes it's nice to get one of those deflection goals. That's kind of where we're at. Now, I was watching the power play last night and I especially noticed this. It feels like they're moving to the outside and always, what do we say? Okay, shoot the puck, shoot the puck, move your feet. They shot the puck last night, but then they didn't move their feet to retrieve the puck. It felt like every time they shot, they were then losing the subsequent puck battle and allowing Seattle to clear the puck. And look, I know it's easier said than done, but you know, one of those things, and I've brought this up before, that made that 2011 power play so effective was the ability for Ryan Kessler to be the first on almost every puck, every rebound that like went below the goal line, Kessler was out there digging it out. And I remember them talking about this on the Kess and Juice podcast way back when, like, they used to have practices where Kessler would just have the puck deflect somewhere and he would literally just practice sweeping the puck back to one of the Sidians. Like he was literally practicing doing that. And again, I'm not trying to say that Elias Lindholm or whoever's down low needs to become Ryan Kessler, especially 2011 Ryan Kessler, but it's part of what makes a power play successful, right? Is, you know, when you do one thing, you have to do the other things too. And right now I'm looking at the Canucks puck retrievals on the power play and saying, okay, that can definitely be improved that was under the hood brought to you by mr lube the pioneer of the no appointment warranty approved oil change now providing appointment free tire service and sales find them at one of their 16 locations across the lower mainland to find your nearest location visit them online at mrlube.com all right harm cook us up with an anyone else segment because i've got a lot to talk about today in the chat get your anyone else's in folks there's so many already i'm excited to get to all of them it's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listeners' chance to get to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listeners' chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code NATION25. Offer valid in Canada. Subject to change. Terms apply. All right. The first one from Quran. Would Hogs be a good fit for Power Play 1? He can retrieve pucks so well and be a dog at the net front i don't think so i look he's a left shot but the thing with hoaglander is i don't necessarily think that the net front area has been their biggest issue or or concern right now um and with hoaglander it's gonna i think it would take him time to sort of learn the tendencies of how those top unit guys Play. He doesn't have a lot of power play experience in general in the NHL. I just think the learning curve would be quite significant, especially because Hoaglander isn't the type of guy that, for instance, has the most lethal shot from distance or from the middle where you're like, okay, why not use him in the bumper? Like that would have been the one spot where if I was thinking, okay, Hoaglander's left shot, maybe he could fit in the bumper, but the bumper requires some pretty in pretty high level reads it's 
it, it's a position that requires a lot of experience in terms of reading off of the defense where sometimes you have to pop a little bit higher in the slot to make sure you get open. Um, it also requires a lot of quick decision-making because when you do get the puck in the middle, sometimes you have to make the quick pass. It's just a high-pressure position for a guy that doesn't have a lot of power play experience. And um, I'd be shocked if uh, the Canucks go down that route. I'm going to disagree a little bit and say that if you're looking for a left shot, which presumably they would be, right? Presumably they would be at this point. I would I would try him there over P.S. Suter, right? Like, I think that's where I'm at, at least, is... Yeah, you need experience, but I also think Hoaglander has enough natural ability that it wouldn't be like the bumper. I agree with you. Bumper is very hard to learn, but like net front, I could see Hoaglander being a fit there. And I mean, he he looks okay there on PP2, right? Like that's where he's playing on PP2. And I, I thought he's looked pretty good there. And I just think with all the issues that the Canucks power play is having, I, again, how long can you wait for them to figure it out before you start making more personnel changes, right? Um, and I just, I flat out disagree that, Philip Ronick's the answer. I know you agree with me on that, but yeah, I I just don't think Philip Ronick's the answer. I would I would try Hoaglander sooner than I would put Philip Ronick back out there. And I know he's not necessarily one or the other. I'm just saying that that's what I would do is I would at least try Nils Hoaglander. So I agree with uh, Karan on that one. Um, we got this one. This one for you, Harm from Ty David. Can the Canucks pick up Tommy Novak? And what might the price be, Harmon? I have to ask you again. Just like Bobby McMahon, who the hell is Tommy Novak? <laughs> Novak is, uh, he's a right shot sniper who plays center. Um, he really caught my eye last season. He had 17 goals and 43 points in 51 games. Um, he, he missed some time with injury this year. He's got 29 points in 46 games. Um, I don't know if he's the right fit, honestly, for a team like uh, Vancouver. He does have some defensive deficiencies. Um, he's 26 years old, so he's not that young, but you have to keep in mind this is um, only his second full NHL season. And when you're a team that has cup aspirations, I do think there would be a learning curve. And again, he's a center. So, I mean, I'm sure you could um, shift him over to, to wing at some point, but the Canucks also are running into an issue right now where Elias Lindholm, who's a natural center, him going back to wing, which he has a lot of experience experience playing hasn't been working out so um as much as i love novak shot from distance he can absolutely snipe the puck i don't think he's um he's the perfect fit for this team ty david saying brock was talking him up on spit and chiclets they're buddies from way back and as i look at tommy novak's uh hockey tv page both from st paul minnesota st paul minnesota um vetrano is what bc bud said go get vetrano would be nice with PD. I'm on the Vetrano train. I haven't, I haven't banged the drum hard enough. Like I did with Lindholm. Maybe I shouldn't bang the drum hard again, but uh, <laughs> Vetrano, I, I like, I like the idea of Frank Vetrano coming to this team. Uh, top GS, what would be a reasonable price for Chris Tanev? Would that move the needle? Uh, actually, he said Tanev top G. You're going to have to specify if you mean Chris Tanev or Brandon Tanev. I'm assuming you mean Chris Tanev. I, although Brandon Tanev would be nice on this team too, right? <laughs> Like he'd be nice. He already fought Connor Garland, which that's the criteria for being a great line mate for Connor Garland is if you fight Connor Garland, you're going to be a great line mate for him. Cause that's what happened with Dakota Joshua. So look, I, I love the idea of Brandon Tanev on this team. I, that would be a bigger price, obviously, because Seattle is kind of, you know, they've built their team around Brandon Tanev. They really, really like Brandon Tanev down there in Seattle. I don't know about built their team, but you know what I mean? He's, he's a pretty integral part of their team. 
he does mean Chris Tanev. He has clarified that. The price for Chris Tanev is rumored to be a first-round pick. We haven't heard anything to suggest otherwise. I wonder, like, if the price for Chris Tanev harm, and this is just this is just how I understand NHL kind of negotiations to go. If we keep hearing that the price for Chris Tanev is a first-round pick, the price for Chris Tanev is a first-round pick at least, no team has met the Flames' need. Like, no... I, oh, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not willing to say no team has offered a first round pick yet, but I'm. I think it's fair to say no team has offered anything close to what the Flames are looking for for Chris Tanev. So at some point, because you also have to remember that Calgary's dealing from a position of weakness to some extent with him being a UFA, right? But this is how the rental market works: is you take the best offer and you hope that those teams get into a bidding war. And I think there will be a bidding war for Chris Tanev, right? And also from the Flames' perspective, if they're getting offered. Um, you know, something that isn't quite up to par or or is just on the cusp that they're like, okay, we will accept this, but we're going to wait until closer to the trade deadline to see if the price goes up for other teams or if we get better offers. You understand that to some extent, but everything we've heard is that um, Chris Tanev's Chris price is a first-round pick. Well, it's either going to be that or Tanev's market value... Sure, you, you could argue um, could be as high as a first-round pick when you consider that Ben Sherratt went for a first-round pick as a rental to Florida at the deadline not too long ago. Uh, David Savard in 2021 went for a first-round pick to Tampa. But in both situations, you could argue that those were overpayments. Sherratt was a flop in Florida. Uh, even in Savard's case, yes, Tampa, Tampa won the cut, but Savard was averaging like 14 minutes a night in the playoffs. He wasn't um, making the impact that um, the Lightning thought he would, even though he, he had a similar shutdown profile as Tanev and had been logging huge minutes for Columbus. On the other hand, you could also point out that Josh Manson, for example, um, the year that he got moved to Colorado, went for a second-round pick and a prospect in Drew Hellison, who was decent but nothing spectacular. Or um, when Toronto acquired Mark Giordano a couple years ago, back when Giordano was again, in a top four role decisively for Seattle. Uh, he went for a package that included two seconds. So it's not a guarantee that Tanev's worth a first. Yeah, if I'm in Calgary's position, I'm asking for, for, for a first round pick. But as we get closer to the deadline, if nobody's prepared to meet that, I think the check down would be a second round pick uh, plus um, another asset. And, and that's where from the Canucks perspective, like you've already traded a first round pick for you know, plus um, Hunter Brustevich uh, as part of uh, that Lindholm trade for a rental. And I know in Tanev's case, there is the possibility that you could keep him beyond this year, but you've already made a huge swing and you've got to be careful not to give up too many of your prized assets because it could prohibit you from being able to make crucial deadline ads um, in future years because, um, you know, teams to win a cup, they need usually a runway they don't usually win it on their first go into the playoffs so um as much as i like the fit for tanev and as much as i'm on board with the idea of circling back um with him in free agency when you wouldn't have to pay to get him if the contract's reasonable on a short-term deal um i'm just not sure that i'd be prepared to pay the acquisition cost from vancouver's perspective knowing that there could be a bidding war Fair enough. Uh, Wallach asked this. Do you think Baines is positioning himself for more time in the lineup given how he has played the past few games if he can keep up this level of play once injuries are done? I'm going to say yes. I think right now, first of all, the fourth line seems just completely open for the taking. Like 
I think the Canucks are begging for someone to do something to earn ice time on the fourth line. And look, I know Nils Amon kills penalties and he's been pretty good in that role, but when Nils Huglander's off that line, that whole fourth line's identity is just gone. And I know Sam, again, Sam Lafferty scored last night as part of the third line when he was out with Bluger and Garland, but that was a deflection, right? Like that was, that was a pretty lucky bounce uh, at the watch party. I got very excited about it, but you know, it was a bit of a lucky bounce for Sam Lafferty. Then you got to be good to be lucky. He's going to the net. I'm not trying to take it away from Sam Lafferty, but yeah, I think Baines has a shot to play in the lineup. I absolutely think he has a shot to play in the lineup. If you're playing top six minutes, which he was last night. And again, He's hard matched against McKinnon for his first game. That's a pretty solid stint through two games of your NHL career. That's a pretty strong showing. So again, I'm interested to see how long he can kind of keep it up. And look, I think he was a little bit worse last night than he was in the first game, but I don't want to over dissect Archie Baines games uh, games here. He hasn't been the problem and I'm interested to see uh, what the future kind of has in store for him. But yes, I think he has a real shot at keeping himself in this lineup when everybody's healthy. Jesse C asked this fully healthy. Does your starting six defenseman core change depending on who you play in round one? I'm going to say no, uh, because if everybody's fully healthy, it seems pretty clear how the Canucks are going to position their defense. Like we've already established Carson Susie is going to be in this lineup again, who you play. I don't think it matters about too much about who the opponent is. I think what matters more is who's playing well for you at the moment, because then you have to decide between Noah Juleson, Ian Cole, you know, Tyler Myers is really the realistic conversation and Nikita Zadorov as well. Uh, for one of those guys, isn't going to be able to play in the lineup because you're not going to have room. Uh, you would think Susie Hughes and Hironic are the untouchable ones in the lineup that aren't coming out. And then you kind of have to figure it out beyond there. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think you nailed it. Um, it really is going to come down to players form down the stretch. I don't think, um, who you're playing opponent wise would necessarily make a huge impact on um, on your decision in terms of your stylistic preference. Jesse C best haircut from the Swedish prospects in the system. They all seem to rock various versions of the Dolph Lundgren Ivan Drago haircut. Um, this is a really good question. It's one that requires probably a lot of attention and research. So I'm going <laughs> to give it the vibes one as I normally do. I really like Tom Willander's haircut. Like, I think Tom Willander had a fresh fade when I saw him at dev camp. Yeah, I I, I think I, I have to go with him as, as well. I'm trying to look up, like, I've seen the other Elias Patterson's um, haircut now. It's not bad, but there's something fresh about Willander. And, and not just his haircut, but I'll say this. I met him at the Combine when I had heard that the Canucks had taken him out for um, dinner and that he was on their radar. Um, and just having a chance to talk to him in person, again, you could see why teams were so impressed that week in Buffalo with this draft um, combine interviews because he is a really confident, impressive um, young man. The way he presents himself, um, he just seems so sure of himself, so sure of every decision he's making. Like when he was walking through his explanation for why um, he was leaving Sweden to go play in the NCAA, which isn't very... Uh, common for a prospect, uh, a Swedish prospect that young. Um, the way he delivered that explanation, I can just imagine the Canucks brass, other teams in and around that top 15 um, would have walked away really impressed. I know that's a, doesn't really have anything to do with his haircut, but um, when you meet him in person, he is he's an impressive guy. And again, in terms of how he presents himself, his professionalism, all that type of stuff. 
I will say, if you Google Tom Lander, he's had some rough haircuts too. Me and him both. Me and him both. I'm not immune to it. I'm not immune to it. In fact, Tom Lander also had the little, you know, Odish, the Pokemon that the hair comes out like that. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Tom Lander and I have both had the Odish cut. Uh, or is it Oddish? I don't know. It might be Oddish, I don't know what it's called. Anyways, you played Pokemon growing up, right? No, Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh, that's right. You're a Yu-Gi-Oh guy. And yet we do a podcast together. I know. Pretty crazy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, Grady also pointed out I made a mistake. Novak's a left shot, not a right shot. But point still ah. stands. I've seen some filthy snipes from him. Like, guy can rip the puck. All right, Karan asked this. Who's your ideal potential opponent for round one? I'll tell you what. I said it yesterday before the game, and I say it again after the game. I don't want to meet Seattle in round one. I don't want the Canucks to meet Seattle in round one. I think that would be, I don't want to say disaster, but if you if you win the Western Conference, right, and you get the worst, the, the second wildcard team as your playoff opponent, and it's Seattle Kraken, good luck. Like, I don't want to run into the Seattle Kraken in round one. That would not be a good, uh, a good thing for the Canucks. I don't, I don't like that. I like Which Nashville. Is- Okay, so this was about um, who we'd like to see, right? Not who avoid. would you like to see them run into? Yeah, in round yeah. one, who's the most ideal? Okay, I'm gonna assume Calgary is not gonna make it, um, just for the purposes of this conversation. Although they're still kind of hanging around, they're three points back of St. Louis with an extra game played. Uh, but yeah, I mean Calgary, that would be ideal. Uh, but if not, Nashville to me definitely stands out. I mean, they are pretty consistently a team that can make the playoffs but then fold pretty quickly in in recent times Uh, they don't have enough i think offensive depth their first line with o'reilly uh o'reilly nyquist and uh philip forsberg has been really dynamic but after that they don't get enough offense Uh, uc soros hasn't really been his usual spectacular self and the blue line while it's decent it um it doesn't scare me there's just nothing really about that Nashville team that I look at and go, Oh boy, that's, that's terrifying. I don't like, like even with St. Louis, for example, um, some of the ways that they create offense off the rush quick strike, you're like, okay, like that could, that's not the greatest match for Vancouver, but with Nashville, it's like, yeah, they've got some decent players, but I'm not scared of Nashville. Yeah. Uh, I would also say, like, and again, I, I don't know if we're going this low, right? Because I, like you brought up with Calgary, it might be cheating a little bit to bring up this team. But like Minnesota, the Canucks, could, the Canucks could stomp Minnesota in a seven-game series. I know some Wild fans can clip this if they meet in round one in the Wild win. But yeah, like I think in my hierarchy, like I would go number one is Minnesota. Number two is obviously Calgary. Number three is Nashville. And then there's a big drop-off where you don't, I don't think you want to meet St. Louis and you don't really want to meet Seattle in round one either. And I think Seattle's kind of the one that I think would be, like I said, I keep saying quietly a tough opponent. I think they would uh, surprise a lot of people if Vancouver and Seattle met in round one. I'll give you one harm because they're at risk of falling in the wild card standings. The LA Kings. I wouldn't want to play LA either, to be honest. I know they've been spiraling, but that's a team that, for example, last year in the playoffs, they gave Edmonton a pretty tough test, even though Kevin Fiala wasn't healthy for most of the series. And he's their main That's offensive true. game breaker, right? Uh, even the year before, when they were the surprise team, they took Edmonton to game seven. Um, and I know, yeah, okay. So what you're saying is that they were close, but they didn't win either time. Sure, but 
now I think on paper they're an upgraded team, even though the standings results may not show it um, yet. I think when they're at their best, um, that Gavrikov Roy second pair can be really like I've seen them play really effective shutdown hockey and down the stretch when they were first united they were one of the best um, shut down defensive pairs in the NHL Um, they've loosened up a bit recently but they have the ability to build that chemistry together and that's when you look at their blue line and even though they don't have the biggest names like quietly they can be really good in that sense and especially you know the the forward situation they have with with how many two-way um, pieces. I don't like the idea of Philip Deneau going up against, um, you know, one of Vancouver's, uh, whatever Vancouver's top line ends up being because Deneau has this history of being able to shut down, whether it was Matthews when it, when, uh, he was with Montreal and they made that surprise run or, um, you know, he's had some effective moments against, uh, the McDavid line. I don't love that. So, um, yeah, I'd prefer not to play LA either. Although I'm not saying like LA would be favorites by any stretch of the imagination, but Again, I'd much rather in Nashville. I absolutely agree with you. Nashville's the one. Nashville's the one. Like, that's the team that you want to hit. Cody Chong in the Facebook chat said, XL Energy Center is a house of horrors. No to that round one matchup. All right. I'll accept that. I'll accept that. But I I think we can all agree. Nashville is the team that you want to face. And again, some Nashville fan out there is going to find this if Vancouver and Nashville meet and Nashville bumps Vancouver out and run. But I think Nashville... Uh, might be that that team. Um, I I just don't know about LA's goaltending. I don't I don't want to get into it obviously because it's just you know it's it's a smaller conversation. But yeah, I just I I think about LA and I think you're right with the shutdown the shutdown ability that they might have. They're gonna put it together. If not all, they they already kind of have started to put it back together after that disastrous skid that led to them firing their coach. They're starting to put it back together. And look, Quentin Byfield's not getting any worse. I think that's the other thing to consider. I know, right? It's yeah. like We've seen what Quentin Byfield's been up to this week. Like that dude is not getting any worse. Uh, and again, yeah, they might be a team that you increasingly more every year don't want to meet in the playoffs, even though they did hitch their wagon to Pierre-Luc Dubois, which means they'll never win a cup. Um, they'll still be kind of a team you don't want to meet. I don't think. Yeah. And it, they're just a team that when they're at the bat, when they're at their best, they allow nothing defensively. So that to, to sort of uh, talk about the goal, the, the goaltending aspect yeah, I mean, it's obviously a potential concern for them, but when they are rolling, they can sort of follow that Vegas template of they have Aiden Hale back there. Um, but if you don't allow anything off the slot, if you don't allow anything off the rush, as LA did um, for a good chunk before this recent um, slide, um, then your goaltender doesn't have to do much. It's a pretty predictable sort of environment system to to play in. Play in and... Um, LA's underlying numbers are really dominant in terms of controlling possession, controlling scoring chances. They do, even with Byfield um, improving, they do lack, like I I don't love the fact that they don't have any offensive stars. Um, I, I still think they're missing the top lineup, like JT Miller, Elias Pedersen um, types that, um, that Vancouver obviously does, but they're a deep team also in that, their third and fourth lines can also be really solid and chip in. And um, so, yeah. Anyone else from Kron? How is Grady's dog? How is Tilly Grady? Can you jump in? Or if Tilly's barking, we might not be able to hear from Grady. (laughs) She's doing okay. Uh, Sleeping right now. I'd bring her on otherwise, but 
Yeah, growing up, man, it's crazy how quick they grow. Yeah, Bert's also sleeping, so I can't get Bert either. Someone pointed out, and this isn't even true, Karan. Um, I've done this before. I've brought I've brought Bert on the show. Karan said we've never actually seen Bert and Quads in the same room. Think about that. It's not true. I, I've I've lifted Bert onto the onto the camera there. Anyways, a uh, lot of Yu-Gi-Oh chat, a lot of uh, Pokemon chat. So I think it's a good time. Oh, Karan with another one. Quads was definitely a guy who always chose the fire type starter in pokemon absolutely charizard why would i not want charizard in the end come on um and yeah even when it was the uh i don't remember the other names but i did uh the last one i played greninja was the one i started with which was a water type pokemon but that was the last video game I played. I think it was like 2014 i don't know anyways oh there's tilly look at the tilly cam oh big yawn adorable through the years dumbo years i call them that's so cute. I love the ears. That That's fantastic. All right. Great. I know your hands are kind of full right now, but we will get to the Betway Bet of the Day. Brought to you, as always, by our friends at, you guessed it, Betway. I'm really excited for this weekend, Harm. Just before we get to Betway, because give Grady a little bit of time to put the dog down and get it, get the bet up. I'm really excited for this weekend. I feel like the Canucks need a good weekend. We need a good weekend. We hardly even touched on the Boston game. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, 4 p.m. tomorrow, 4 p.m. start. It's going to be uh, going to be an interesting one for the Canucks, and we're going to be back on Monday to break it all down. What are you expecting to see in this game against the Boston Bruins? It's going to be a tough test. Um, I mean, we know what happened last time these two teams met. Vancouver got smacked, and it's it's especially going to be tough because Boston special special teams are really really good. So. You could run into another game where at five on five, you get back to your staples, as Rick Tockett would say. You uh, are applying much better back pressure, allowing less off the rush. You're tightening up your defensive structure. Um, you're more connected, breaking the puck out. You're able to force more turnovers on the forecheck. You're able to create some solid cycle shifts. You're um, getting a solid territorial edge. You could do all of those right things and still not win the game because. Boston is elite on the power play and they're really effective on the PK as well. I actually want to um, specifically point out where, where they rank. I'm just quickly um, pulling it up in, uh, in both categories. Um, seventh best power play in the NHL uh, and 10th um, best PK in the NHL. So the special teams battle, I think is going to be the toughest part of this um, Boston game. Yeah, I also think with the adversity the Canucks are facing right now, like let's be honest, a four-game losing streak is a ton of adversity. And I think there's going to be a lot of people out there that are saying, okay, well, this is going to be a loss. They're going to lose five straight, but then then they're going to get a couple days off and they'll be able to come back and be ready for Tuesday's game. There's going to be people that are saying that, but I personally think that they have a serious chance here to erase all of the adversity that they've been facing with just a win over the Boston Bruins. People are asking for a prediction. I'm going to say because I'm a giant homer, 3-2 win for the Vancouver Canucks tomorrow. And I know, Harmon, you probably don't want to give a prediction, so it's okay. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll save it. We'll save it. I'll <laughs> give it up there. 3-2 win for the Vancouver Canucks because, again, I am a giant homer. All right, let's get did to our bet way better against the, the Canucks? No, never. Actually, yeah, I did that one time, and I, I was right, but it was that one time. that I'm not doing it again. I'm not doing it. Positive positive vibes only heading into the weekend. All right, let's get to our bet way better the day, brought to you by our friends over at Betway. All right, 
Chicago Blackhawks, baby, to beat the <laughs> Winnipeg Jets on home ice. They are defending the United Center. Connor Bernard scoring three. Chicago Blackhawks to win in any fashion against those Winnipeg Jets. A $10 bet at plus 230 odds returns you $33 over at Betway. It must be nice plus to play. If you choose to play, please play responsibly. All right, folks, everybody have a great weekend. Thanks again to everybody who came to the watch party. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, and our technical producer, Grady Sass, my name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads brought to you by the Toyota BZ4X. The BZ4X's fresh look is just an added bonus to its range since you can drive up to 406 kilometers on a single charge. That's enough to get you from Kitsilano to Whistler or Kamloops to Kelowna and back and still be home in time for the game. Now that's what we'd call electric. The best part, by choosing electric, you can get up to $11,000 in rebates and incentives. The BZ4X are in stock and selling quickly, so make sure to visit shoptoyota.ca or your local Pacific Toyota dealer to get your hands on one. Canucks Conversation is live Monday through Friday, every weekday at 2 p.m. over on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. Make sure you like, subscribe, and interact in the YouTube live chat every day with us, folks.